It's beautiful. Every color is powerful. Every color is worthy. Try to bury us. They didn't realize we were seeds. They didn't realize you were seeds. They open doors so others can walk through them. Your legacy is every life you have ever touched. I'm Stella Saliari, and this is Salt the Podcast, a series of encounters with inspiring women. They're healers, activists, mothers, educators, and world changers. Together, we create community, share knowledge, amplify voices, heal, and break narratives by elevating a new generation. Welcome to Salt the Podcast. My guest today is Arum Pervitasari. Arum is an experienced educator, English language teaching enthusiast, an academic editor and researcher. She holds a PhD in linguistics from Leiden University in the Netherlands and is a member of several committees in the higher education sector. Further, she's the co-founder of Teaching Online with Arum and Junita, an online platform on YouTube about teaching and online learning. But Arum is also the mother of Hafiz, with whom she came to the Netherlands from Indonesia in order to realize her dream of obtaining a PhD. We met in 2017 at work and quickly connected through our faith, interests, and some challenging life moments. The title of today's encounter is Your Silence Will Not Protect You, and we will speak about stalking, self-care, and Audrey Lord. But before I welcome Arum, I want you to know that this is a bit of a different episode because we actually did two recordings. The first time Arum and I spoke about her stalking experience, our conversation became very emotional and painful, so we decided not to publish it. However, we've included flashbacks from the first recording into this one to underline how traumatic and painful stalking is and that it is something to take seriously. Stalking occurs when someone repeatedly harasses or threatens someone else, causing fear or safety concerns. Most often, stalking occurs by someone the person knows or with whom they had an intimate relationship. Research shows stalking can lead to depression and post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm very grateful that Arum will speak about her experience with us today. So welcome, Arum, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So who is Arum? Please introduce yourself. So hi, everyone. I'm Arum. I am Indonesian. I live in the Netherlands uh, and I came here because I got a scholarship in 2013 to do my PhD and now I'm done with it. Now I'm living uh, in the Netherlands, started to live here. I would say my I am an educator, a linguist, English language teaching enthusiast and also a researcher. Adam, you agreed to speak to us today about a quite heavy subject, and I'm very grateful for this, and we will actually immediately go into that subject, because you've experienced a very horrible and scary time, because someone who used to be very close to you, someone you trusted, someone you actually wanted to spend your life with, started stalking you. And as I said, I'm very grateful that you're willing to talk about it here, without going into details though. So can you share with us a little bit about this time in your life and what did it do to you? 
It's indeed true. That was really a horrible experience to me. It's like a nightmare, but it's in reality kind of traumatic too. So a few years back, I had this intimate relationship with a person. It was really nice and perfect in the beginning, but apparently it's uh, it's only like a short time, uh, you know, fairy tale. Uh, what's, what's so ironic was uh, it, the relationship in the beginning looked like so good to be true, but I felt so draining and miserable. And deep inside, I felt that something was actually wasn't right. I was like, always waiting for 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 something to drop. You know, it. You know, like um, yeah, you knew deep inside of you that something is wrong. Yeah, something's, something's gonna happen. Thing. Something's yeah. not okay. Until uh, one morning, he decided to leave after accusing me of cheating. Can you believe it? So when I got this talking, when we finished the relationship, when I got this talking, of course, my first instinct was, you know, to confront him, to let him know that whatever he's saying about me, whatever he's accusing about me was not true. It's like he said, like, I deserve a revenge, you know. That's why he stalked me. He made fake accounts, pretending to be someone else. And he... he he even sent like nude pictures to my DMs and then and then pretending to be someone else, whoever, I don't know. And the worst was badmouthing me, sending blackmails to my family, to my friends, even to my employers. So I received some, uh, actually some threat, not only the stalking, but, you know, I contacted the police and, you know, made this restraining order. Uh, but what I learned during this period was, um, you know, like this talking was not acceptable. Yeah. So I, I learned a lot about psychology. What kind of trait was that actually like a person who did stalking, you know, and found out it was really not uh, a good behavior. I joined some female community and talked to some female and shared uh, and heard that um, other females also, you know, uh, received the same experience as, uh, as I did. And then I found out uh, there was one strategy which is very good and it worked. I tried to use this a non-contact uh, or gray method strategy. So in principle, this strategy was uh, just not to give any reactions, uh, no response, no anger, no arguments, nothing, even though I uh, my intuitive, you know, uh, reaction was wanted to, you know, to give emotional response, but don't. So I didn't give any emotional response at that time, which is very hard, but I had to do it. So um, I didn't give responses to any actions like phone calls, comments in social media. Yeah, no contact at all from me. Um yeah, I think I think even though that was really like a dark moment, like of so horrible, the stalking, but by giving by not giving any responses was um, the best method that I found really useful. Yes, and you said during the relationship you had already seen some red flags and you were ignoring them. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, of course. In the beginning, like I saw some red flags, like you know, um, it was really like uh, love bombing which is, you know, uh, you are the only one that I love so much, something like that. We as a woman, we love to hear that, right? Like, and also everything was really perfect. Like, it was so good. Like, um, it was like a fairy tale. Uh, but, but then there is also uh, some 
something off like no empathy no sympathy at all during the relationship and then and then you know um like i had to isolate myself from my family from my friends um because you know just the guy didn't want to get jealous he's just easy to get jealous uh something like that um so i think i think the in the beginning i've already got that red flags but i just ignored it and i didn't trust my gut instincts and then when you decided to stop with the relationship he actually really showed his real character right he yeah everything showed up you know it's only like a it's only like a character that he put uh you know a mask like a mask and then it fell off after we finished the relationship yes yes, yes. and he also contacted your employer your son's school Yeah, everyone. Like I was at that time, I was left um, in my very ground of my life. Like I didn't have anyone to talk to because, yeah, my employers receive any blackmails from him saying bad stuff about me. And my son's school, the principal of the school, like receive also uh, emails saying bad stuff also about me. And my friends, my professors even like, you know. They, they started to, you know, doubt my intention. You know, they started to doubt me as a person. Like, uh, is she really like what she's accused to and something like that? So, um, like, I cried a lot at that time. Like, um, like um, every night I was just like crying, praying and then crying. Like, But then I remember Mike touched my feet. And he simply said to me, if you die, mom, who will take care of me? Can you imagine, like, as a mom, what will you say? He was just seven years old at the time, eight years old. And I was feeling like I was left in the face. Like, how dare did I think like that, you know? Yeah, it was really not a good time because I felt like it was really my dark moments. Uh, that's why I felt so horrible and so alone at that time. Did you feel that the police were supporting you, like the authorities? Yeah, of course. They they helped me a lot. Uh, one reason was uh, why I actually contacted police because it was really like so, um, what is it, so scary because I felt like I was being watched all the time. And I think, uh, I think, Also, if you are being stalked, and yeah, we have to be aware, right, that we are being watched. But at the same time, uh, also, I cannot engage at all to that guy. Like, I have to break the contact at all. So the support from the police was really helpful because I, I knew that I can, you know, I can trust them. And stalking is, by the way, it's against the law for reasons, you know, like... Um, Like everyone deserves to to feel safe and uh, not feeling afraid. So, communicating with the police and then be cooperative in that sense, I think it's really helpful. Yes, I also myself um, experienced that as well in my life, and um, I realized two things: that the moment I stopped engaging, the person then also slowly stopped harassing me or stalking me. And uh, the moment I, I really put those boundaries in place, I could slowly get rid of, of this person. But I also realized throughout this time how much guilt I was putting on myself. I was saying, it's my fault. 
or I was feeling responsible for the person or I was saying it's my fault that he's like this and I have to take care of him. So I don't know if it was the same with you, but I put a lot of guilt on myself. I think it's really normal, right? So once we finish relationship, we always think like, what if this, what if this, you know, like we, we as a woman, we always, you know, feel like uh, that's our mistakes but apparently actually like in the relationship it's not only about us it's a it's the two of us uh, um, you know the the other party and uh, and from our side so so I think we don't have to as a woman I learned that we don't have to feel guilty I don't have to feel guilty if it doesn't work it is what it is it's not working so so what I learned from this talking also like I have to accept whatever that is going on by ending relationship that I have to all this talking I, I learned a lot from that and I've realized it right, uh, right now and obviously we were very close during that time and, and I saw everything you were going through yeah we were supporting each other so I really saw that the change that you went through and once this was over because as you said you were really you had really hit the bottom and you were extremely sad and, and scared and Yeah, a, a lot of different things and kind of traumatized. But then I saw you changing and I saw you actually becoming the person you are now. And it's incredible how you managed to come out of this and develop into the Arum that, that, that you are now. And one of the things that you did is you started actually taking care of yourself. You started practicing self-care, something that prior to this experience was maybe unknown to you. So before I ask you the next question, I want to say a few things about self-care because a whole self-care industry has emerged in the last few years. And we can say it's something that has been hijacked by capitalism and turned into a multi-million dollar business, mostly taking as a starting point the view of lacking, right? We are never enough. We are lacking something. And this is a problem because then it becomes a never-ending story that can result in buying lots of stuff to fill the void, to feel the emptiness, a buying that never ends and leads to the sacrifice of feeling I am enough for the sake of consumption. If you look a little bit more into this idea of self-care, you can say that self-care has a very strong political meaning going also back to the black feminist movement to which we own a lot and are highly indebted to. And in her book, A Burst of Light, uh, American writer, poet, essayist, feminist and civil rights activist Audre Lorde wrote after she had been diagnosed with cancer for a second time that self-care is a radical political act. She said, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. So self-care became a way of preserving herself in a world that was hostile to her identity, to her community, to the way she lived. And self-care is about the idea of first caring about ourselves in order to be able to get out there and fight for justice and fight for other women. So in Audre Lorde's case, um, she was a black lesbian mother and a feminist. And at that time, she was not being seen by anybody. So her saying, I'm going to take care of myself, became a radical political act. 
So you also started taking care of yourself after this horrible experience, which of course was the culmination of other pain you had experienced in your life before, how you had been raised as a woman. And can you share with us what self-care means to you and what did you do? So before I share what uh, self-care means to me, um, I just want to highlight two important lessons that I received from this horrible experience uh, that we that you asked me um, previously. There are two things that I realized what I was lack of. The first one, the lack of boundary, and the second one was lack of I was I was really like people pleasing at that time. So I felt like uh, these two these two uh, what is it points really like. Um, put me um, think that I didn't have love to myself. I couldn't live without somebody else. That's codependent thing. Like I didn't have any boundaries. Like I, uh, I have to live with somebody, whoever that is. But then, yeah, that horrible experience taught me that I had to live by myself. Like I didn't have anyone who believed me, uh, family, friends, and so on and so forth. So that's the first thing that I that I learned that I basically as a woman, I can live by myself. And the second point was um, people pleasing. When you are in a very deep trouble, that doesn't mean people will help you. So you don't have to please people, you know. Uh, uh, but But That was not me before. I had to please everyone. I have to make everyone happy. Uh, but then uh, in that uh, very dark moment, I realized, hey, whatever, whoever you were pleased before, that doesn't mean they're going to help you. Uh, so so that's the reason why I, I think um, these two things makes me think, hey, I have to love myself more. I have to take care of myself because I am the only one in the end. Who stand up for myself. So that's actually the reason why I started to do a self-care. I, I always des describe self-care as a, a way to reveal myself uh, to how I grow in love with myself. So if we think about it, if you are thirsty, physically, you can take drinks, whatever drinks you want to have and refill your body. You drink as many as you want. But when we sometimes feel thirsty mentally, we have to refill our spirit. And then doing both things, drinking, you know, physically and mentally, that's part of self-care uh, that I'm doing. So um, what I did was actually like, uh, there was a aha moment. I said, I had to, I had to take care of myself more. I started doing yoga at that time. So I, I was being selective of, of what I consume. Um, and then, you know, paying attention to my physical health and, uh, and then become aware of what actually my soul needs. So I started meditation. I practiced breathing. Sometimes I felt too, but you know, I keep going. Uh, you know, I try to, Change the way I pray, practice gratitude, journaling. I wrote uh, my emotions in my books uh, and made yeah, and made lists of positive words like I am valuable. Uh, Stella also taught me how to do that. So yeah, and then and then read personal development books, which I think really useful. And then I start to recognize my ego. You know, ego is the enemy. There was one book talking about it, and then and understand that. Um, I am actually enough and uh, and whatever uh, what is it whatever is going on it's really depends on myself I have to say positive words uh, to myself um, even though people said bad stuff but as long as I'm positive about myself I think I think that's 
that doesn't matter. And I start practice setting boundaries. So that means like I use, I use it's it's used to be hard to say no to people, but that because I practice setting boundaries, that means I have to say no and resist my feeling. Then and then you know, and then um, try to explain why I have to say no um, uh, of whatever that is. Um, and then and I try to watch how I talk to myself. I used to be hard on myself and harsh sometimes but then i started to watch how i talk to myself being critical and harsh it doesn't mean that you know it's gonna bring any goods to me so uh yeah i think some of the things that i that i did uh, and you're still doing them i am still doing it during my studies during my gender studies at the that i'm doing at the moment i read an article by sarah matchett and phoebe basalaki And I also listened to a presentation by um, Phoebe, who was one of our guest speakers. And they've done research on sex workers in Cape Town and the use of Buto principles, which is a form of Japanese dance theater, whose techniques offer an embodied, embodied practice. Praxis. And in that article, I read something that I would like to share with all of you. It's about knowledge, that knowledge is embodied. And because of that, we cannot say that experience has no importance, that personal stories, that personal narratives have no meaning. And I'm going to quote here now. They say in the article, inequality is stored in the body cells. In the memory of these cells, it is embodied. This is what we are calling embodied cognition. Cognition means the mental process of acquiring knowledge, which we derive from the body being a repository, an archive, a side of and encrypted with disciplines and unmentionable pain and trauma. But it can also be the site of remembrance, of hope, of love and belonging. So the knowledge we have embodied reminds us of things such as our worth, our beauty, our pain, our trauma and so forth. So, Going back to what you just shared, you had embodied so much pain and so much trauma in yourself, right? Your body had stored these emotions because of things you went through in your life, because of how you perceived yourself as a woman or how, how you had been raised to behave as a woman. Then the stalking experience that you went through. So your body was, yeah, it had stored these kind of emotions, right? And then by you starting practicing self-care, by setting boundaries, by loving yourself, by meditating, doing yoga, changing your eating habits, changing maybe your circle, right? The people you surrounded yourself with. You started nurturing your body with different things, such as worth, such as beauty, and you produced a different kind of, of, of knowledge. So I found this quote extremely beautiful because it really underlines the importance of self-care which often means also connecting with our creativity, putting our heart in what we like to do by acting from a point of having instead of lacking, finding your passion, right? That's, that's also self-care because I remember how passionate you became about uh, yoga and you've actually a lot of followers now on Instagram because of that. And I remember when you were doing the stretching in, in the office and then suddenly from, I don't know, your knees, you could reach the ground and, um, Yes, I, I just loved this so much when I read it in the article that I wanted to show it, uh, not show it, share it actually with the audience. 
that inequality is stored in our body cells. Our body remembers. And because of that, we sometimes react a certain way in certain situations, right? Someone does something bad to you and you think, I deserve it. Yes, I'm, I feel guilty. I feel shame. The person is right to treat me like that. But if you start nurturing yourself and start taking care of yourself and setting boundaries and the person does something like this, you know that, no, this is not acceptable. And this is something that you did, Arum. And I also know that during this time, because as we said before, you came from Indonesia with your son, you left your family behind, you came to a new country, you had to study and work at the same time. But you met quite a lot of good people on the way, and these people became your tribe. So can you share with us about your tribe of women and also what female solidarity means to you? I really agree with um, uh, that quote that you mentioned that when you start doing self-care, then you change your circle. And that's really true. And that's what's going on with my tribe at that time. Uh, so I um, naturally change uh, the people that I know and then, you know, the, attract uh, different people than, that I, than the one that I had before. Uh, and people with the same mindset, the same uh, perspective, the same way of thinking, the same vision of seeing life, you know. And for me, life is so much better if you find your people, your tribe, because they're basically the one that are there for you when you need them. When I was in trouble, they were just there to help and no judgment given um, because they basically also have already passed that, that same story that I that I had. So for me, I think I have found my tribe by the pain that I endured, you know, by the trauma that I had um, and whatever you want to call it. When I have this um, circle that accept me, they, they actually like uh, understand me for who I am and I do the same for them, for them too. So thank you for sharing all these things with us, Arun. How do you raise your son? What do you wish for him? Oh, that's really a, an interesting question. <laughs> I read that a lot of parents will do everything for their, their kid. I, I will do the same too, you know, except some of parents, they don't let uh, their kids to be themselves. And that's what I don't want. I want myself, uh, I want my son to be whatever he wants to be. So he has to be honest uh, with his true feelings, speak up about it. I was not raised like that before. I had to, you know, I had to... Um, Uh, keep my feelings by myself and and you know I didn't speak up about it but I don't want my son to be like me you know like I he doesn't have to please me or anyone like uh, what I did when I was his age she just need to respect people she needs to respect people to respect me to respect his friends his teacher and so on and I want him to be comfortable with his own skin and having empathy and loving person it's uh, it looks easy but um You know, uh, every morning I mention it to him like he should tell it to himself that he is enough. I am enough. So we we did uh, we said this mantra every morning like I am enough so every time he's going to school and he doesn't need validation from anyone else. Uh, so once he's got a problem, he just needs to solve it by himself and let him be, you know. I want to let him be whatever he wants to become. And, you know, he doesn't have to... Uh, what is it? Uh, force uh, what I want to him. So my child doesn't need to do what I did in my life because he, I believe he's got his own life or his dreams uh, to follow. 
um, I think I think that's one of the things. I learned a lot for, from my experiences and I don't want him to follow the bad stuff that happened to me. And yeah, I think that's it. That's very beautiful. <laughs> Who has been your salt? Who has inspired you? Um, basically everyone in my tribe. I learned from anyone, anyone. Like um, uh, not only the not only women, uh, not only Muslim, because I'm a Muslim. So I learned basically from everyone who has the same thought as mine, perspective, mindset, and uh, and yeah, they've been they've been so inspiring to me. Uh, and you know, since I changed myself, like I do self care to myself, I started to uh, think positive about things, right? So those people who can bring up positive uh, perspective, mindset and stuff, I love them. And if I can say a name, it, it's one of it, one of them, it's you, Stella. So, <laughs> so I, I mentioned to you, like, I owe you a lot for that. You helped me in such a way, you know, without any judgment. And then, yeah, I, I think, I think I really owe you for that. Thank you, Arun. Thank you. <laughs> And to whom do you want to pass the salt? What do you have to say to the next generation? I want to pass the salt to uh, every everyone, everyone who thinks that my experience could help them, who probably has the same uh, experience or in the same, uh, what is it, um, the same situation like mine, you know. For me, um, what I learned I learned in a very harsh, like hard way and harsh way, you know, and I don't want everyone to experience the same thing. Um, and I think we are, each one of us are wonderfully made and we are one of a kind, right? So so what I want to say to the next generation is that you don't need to please everyone or people, uh, whoever they are. You just need to please yourself and start valuing yourself before others, Um And what I learned also that life is really temporary. Nothing is eternal. Whatever friendship or ship, whatever ship, like friendship, relationship, kinship, that can end anytime. And we have to be ready to face it alone because we are, we were born alone and then we, we end this world alone. So, so who's going to help ourselves besides ourselves, right? We have to be, you know, we have to rely on ourselves in such a way. And We are tougher than what people say we are. And then, yeah, just just be true to yourself and and trust yourself uh, because you are the only one who can trust yourself, not not everyone else. Thank you. You sounded a bit like my mom because she always told me, um, you will be born alone and you're going to die alone and life is tough. So you have to suck it up. This is how my mom, uh -oh. <laughs> this is how my mom raised me. And I was always thinking, but I wasn't by myself when I was born. You were there and my father was there. Anyway, I knew what she was trying to tell me, but she always told me this, what you just said. When I wasn't even by myself when I was born. I'm, I'm a twin. So <laughs> true, true. <But> still, <laughs> true. yeah, yeah. Thank you, Arum. Do you have a question that you want to ask me? What about you? Have you found your tribe? So who are they? My tribe? Um, yes, obviously I have uh, found them. I would say that it's something that probably started when I moved to the Netherlands in 2011. That's when my life kind of changed. I always say I have a 
pre-Amsterdam life and in Amsterdam life, I have like two big chapters. I have to say I grew up or I was raised in a, yeah, I could say in a very patriarchal kind of community, even though my father was not a patriarch at all. He was a very free spirit and he always encouraged me to be, to live my life, to learn many things. Like my parents put a lot of emphasis on education, but maybe everything around me was very patriarchal. And I grew also up in a kind of shaming culture. So I didn't grow up with a tribe of women that supported each other. There was more about competing, shaming, gossiping, a, a lot of destructive behavior. So when I moved to the Netherlands, that really changed. And also maybe me becoming a mother also changed. And the fact that I was here without a family and uh, I came to a country where I didn't know anybody. Of course, I met my partner and then slowly we, we created our family. But moving here made a big, big change in my life. And I realized how important it is to have this tribe of women that support each other, where we can um, share things that we've been through and um, where we come together and that it's not each of us like doing it on her own. So, uh, yeah, I've met incredible people here, incredible people that have helped me, that have believed in me, that have been next to me. And, um, of course, my family is also my tribe. My partner is, is my rock, as I always uh, say it. But, yes, I really understood what it means by coming here and, and changing my life and also becoming more vulnerable eh? and also speaking... Um, my truth and because I was raised like kind of okay don't share so much about yourself with others you have to do it by yourself but the moment you start actually sharing also sharing the not so nice things about yourself and about your life sharing your pain something happens so there are a lot of things that I learned here over the last few years and um, yes that connected me with other people and so it's not that I didn't have amazing female friends before moving to the Netherlands. I mean, I have my Greek ladies that are spread all over the world. I have my amazing friends, Kanwal, Sara, and Warte. And I have some great friends still in Germany, just to mention a few and honor them right now. But I didn't have this concept of female solidarity really internalized in me because of the reasons that I mentioned before, this idea of the sisterhood. And by moving here and um, also becoming a mother and um, meeting my partner and building many things from scratch, I became much more outspoken, more engaged. I changed my life actually um, in many ways to incorporate more this idea of, of feminism and um, female solidarity in, in my um, studies, let's say, that I'm doing right now, in my volunteering work in the shelters. And I started emphasizing this idea and the importance of the tribe much, much more. So this is what really changed. I became much more aware of things and found the right words to describe certain realities and certain experience, experiences that, that I'd been through. And I really want to make a change on that. So this is really answering your question now. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, that's really nice. So we've come actually to the end of our conversation today. And uh, I thank you for talking to us about certain things that happened to you in your life and inspiring us. 
And as always, I want to honor a woman at the end of today's conversations, conversation. And today I want to honor Audre Lorde, whom I mentioned at the beginning. Audre Lorde was an American writer, a poet, an essayist, a feminist, a womanist, a librarian, and a civil rights activist. Throughout her life and career, she spoke about the idea of a collective identity. She did not only identify herself with one category, but wanted to celebrate all parts of herself equally. She described herself as black, lesbian, mother, warrior, poet. And she said, if I didn't define myself for myself, I would be crunched into other people's fantasies for me and eaten alive. People tried to silence her by referring to her sexuality. And she made the following decision. The only way you can head people off from using who you are against you is to be honest and open first, to talk about yourself before they talk about you. She emphasized constantly how important it is to speak up. She dedicated her life and talent to confronting and ad addressing injustices of racism, sexism, classism, and homophobia. Before she died, she took the name Gamba Adisa, which means warrior, she who makes her meaning known. And I see something of her in you, Arum, and your story. And I want to finish with the following quote, which is a little bit long, so I shortened it a bit, but I still want to read it out. I was going to die sooner or later, whether or not I had even spoken myself. My silences had not protected me. Your silences will not protect you. What are the words you do not yet have? What are the tyrannies you swallow day by day and attempt to make your own, until you will sicken and die of them, still in silence. We have been socialized to respect fear more than our own need for language. I began to ask each time, what's the worst that could happen to me if I tell this truth? Unlike women in other countries, our breaking silence is unlikely to have us jailed, disappeared, or run off the road at night. Our speaking out will irritate some people, get us called bitchy or hypersensitive and disrupt some dinner parties. And then our speaking out will permit other women to speak until laws are changed and lives are saved and the world is altered forever. Next time ask, what's the worst that will happen? Then push yourself a little further than you dare. Once you start to speak, people will yell at you. They will interrupt you, put you down and suggest it's personal and the world won't end. And the speaking will get easier and easier. And you will find you have fallen in love with your own vision, which you may never have realized you had. And at last, you will know with surpassing certainty that only one thing is more frightening than speaking your truth. And that is not speaking. Beautiful. Thank you. So we should break our silences. Exactly. Thank you so much, Arum, for taking the time to speak to us and share your wisdom. I will upload your information related to the topic on my website. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Please visit my website, www.salt-thepodcast.com for more conversations. Follow me on Instagram under salt underscore the podcast. And please go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review the show. And of course, I always love to hear from you. Something that is loved is never lost. I'm Stella Salieri and this is Salt the Podcast. Salt the Podcast. Salt the Podcast.
Podcast.